Welcome to worship at Salem Alliance Church. Let's join Steve Dan Garen, associate pastor, as he begins. We are in the middle of a series, the person of Jesus. The impact that he has had on the lives of his followers and the way he's working in our lives going forward. And this morning we're focused on Acts chapter 8, a story that's familiar to many of us. We've uh, talked about this many times here in these last couple of years. And we're talking about it again as we focus on this uh, attribute of outreach, this uh, thing that God has called us to, being involved in his redemptive work around the world. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to uh, turn to Acts chapter 8. And to uh, sort of post up right there, put your finger in that. And while you're doing that, let me ask you this question. What do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, Like many of you, when I was five years old, I knew what I wanted to be. And I had a hat that I would fashion into a fireman's hat. You know, like at other times of the season when I was outside, you know, it was just a regular old baseball hat. But uh, when I was really in that place of just uh, really thinking about being a fireman, I'd, I'd craft it and shape it, and, and uh, I put another hat behind it so it, it looked more like a, a fireman's hat. And I, I got these boots and, and, you know, a big jacket, and, and I was just ready. And a neighbor of mine had a, uh, a truck, one of those little red fire trucks, and I borrowed it one time. And actually, as the story goes, I, I buried it. I, I, I think my mom says it was my competitive nature. You know, I couldn't have one, so I don't want him to have one either. Um, but anyway, that, enough about me on that. Uh, I tell you, I, I met a friend a few years ago who was a fireman. He goes to this church. His name is Kyle Romy. Maybe you're even here, Kyle. And uh, he is a lieutenant at Albany Station 11. And we were together a couple summers ago, and, and I, I got curious about what he did, and I said, so Kyle, can you help me, help me understand what, what's it really like to save a life? So he says, well, when you're in training, you, there, there is an algorithm, a, a decision tree. And for those of you who are in the emergency services, paramedics, firemen, police officers, and the like... Um, we are honored you're here, by the way, and we owe a debt of gratitude to you. Um, and he began to explain that, so A, you look for the airway, and is uh, there blockage, and if there is, and you deal with that, and if not, you move on, and B, how's the breathing, and if it's uh, rapid, you, you address it, and if it's uh, erratic, you address it, and, and you move on, and then the C, and you go to circulation, and, and you know, is everything moving right, and, and uh, you know, you, you just go through this, and, and, and you, that's what happens, and I said, uh, so do you have, you know, like that algorithm on a chart that you just whip out, and he said, well, uh, we do have it, but no, I don't, I don't whip it out. It's, it's in here, and it's, it's in here, and, and it's just like second nature to me now. And uh, it, it, it really struck me that there is a lot that goes into saving a life. And those of you who have been a part of this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Split-second decisions, critical decisions, instinctive decisions. You know... In a sense, we are all called to save lives. See, this is the heart of God. John 6, 44, he says this. He says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. 
See, God is a lifesaver. We know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10, and we know that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. People without Christ, lost, spiritually lost. And somehow in the middle of God's redemptive, life-saving work, he strategically places people like you and me right in the middle of it. Sort of the, the first responders. And he says, that's right where I want you. There are people that, that only you can reach. Somehow in his mysterious ways, he says, there's someone I have placed just for you to reach. Will we be ready? Will it be in- instinctive? I'm going to ask if you'd stand with me and let's read Acts chapter 8. God is about to save a life. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the, to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This guy was sort of like a chief financial officer of his day. Verse 28. And on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture from Isaiah 53, speaking of the coming Messiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from this earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news concerning Jesus. Use these words in our lives, I pray. Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I'm a bit of a dreamer, perhaps like some of you. I tend to think about what could be. I tend to think about what the future holds. I tend to think out there and all the possibilities. Now, sometimes that served me well, and other times it gets me in trouble because I lose focus on what is. I see some of your head shaking. You know what I'm talking about. And like many of you, I have a dream for this place. Just like Philip, first responder, man on the scene. And another person was crying out, tell me about Jesus. You may have heard the message a few summers ago from Ed Mangum, our, our uh, international partner who said, now there's an evangelistic slow pitch if I have ever heard one. Someone crying out, please explain to me who is this that would give his life like a, like a lamb silent before the slaughter? See, my dream, like many of you, for our church, for all the other churches in Salem, is that we would be 
the kind of people that, that God can use as he's saving lives. Now, let, let's get this straight. God can use anything he wants to save lives. He doesn't need us. We know from Scripture that there are places where it was instantaneous. Just, just a wave of his hand or a thought and, and someone's life was radically altered. We know that, that the rocks cry out. We know that the heavens declare the glory of God and that he doesn't need us. But he's designed us in such a way that we would enter into relationships and through those relationships, redemptive work would happen. As he's drawing people, we are responding to people and we are a part of saving lives. So this morning, I want to pull out some, some very simple observations. Three observations of the kinds of people that God uses to save lives. Coming through the life of Philip, but I think very relevant and applicable to us. All right? So we're going to talk about three observations of the kinds of people God uses to save lives. Observation number one. Philip listened to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the text. Verse 26 An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the road. And in verse 27, what did he do? It says, he started out. He didn't even have all of the instructions, which would be really tough for some of us. But can't you just tell me why you need me to go? Is there somebody you want me to talk to? Is there a certain place you want me to go? What's it look like? And Philip just simply moves. Verse 29, and it goes on, and the Spirit again prompts and says, now go to this man's chariot, which would have been an unusual occurrence in those days for a, a commoner on the road to approach a wealthy uh, official. And then some whispers, some whispers of the Spirit for Philip to ask in verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? Philip, ask him this question. And then in verse 35, Philip began this message. Philip, tell him, tell him about me. I'm wondering how often has a prompting of the Holy Spirit led you to a situation, an experience, a place where you knew this is a bit out of the ordinary. You know, I've known this guy at work for a long time and why does he seem to be telling me about his problems at home? You know, I've known my neighbor, Bill, for a long time, but why did he come to tell me that he's lost his job? You know, I've had this, this friend from college, and we've talked so many times, but why did he call me to tell me about what was going on in his life? And all of a sudden, there's these promptings, these leadings from God, and he's at work drawing people to himself. It's described like this. A.W. Tozer wrote a fantastic book called The Mystery of the Holy Spirit on page 113. Listen to this as he describes the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is a person, a living person. You can know him, fellowship with him. He whispers. His voice is whispering in the texts that you know, the scriptures, in the songs that we sing, 
He whispers back to you so that walking with the Spirit can become a habit with you. Something that you can do so that you can be in his presence, conscious of his voice and his whispers. See, the whispers of God and promptings of God are born out of a cultivation of a relationship. Look back at Acts chapter 6. This didn't just begin on the road. Look at Acts chapter 6 when the disciples were looking for those to, to wait tables so they could be focused on ministry of the word. You remember what happened? Chapter 6, verse 3. Brothers, let's choose seven from among us, known to be full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, and among them, says the proposal was pleasing. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Spirit, and also Philip and the rest. See, Philip had a history with God, a track record developing, cultivating his life with the Holy Spirit. I sent out an email this week to maybe some of you, and I appreciate many of those emails back, and I asked this question. Can you tell me about a, I think I even worded it, a redemptive prompt from the Holy Spirit that's, that's uh, come into your life where you knew it was God leading you to, to in, enter and engage in another person's life? And one friend wrote this. I met a man named Aaron over 10 years ago. He was one of my auto mechanics on 12th Street here in Salem. Because of some circumstances back then, I had the opportunity to share the gospel, but it fell on deaf ears, he says. This past August, I was sitting in the third row, second aisle over. There was Aaron. His wife and young son had moved out on him, he told me. It was the reason he was in church that day. We began to meet, to talk, and read the Bible, and on September 24th, 2010, Aaron gave his life to following Christ in the parking lot across the street. He's had some ups and downs, but we're still meeting and, and talking about discipleship, he is beginning to discover what it means to follow Christ. There are promptings right here in this room. There are promptings all throughout our lives. God says, would you be willing to cultivate a relationship with me and my Holy Spirit that you would become so attuned to my voice, to my whispers, And to the people that I would put in your path, you'd be ready to be a first responder. Observation number two. Philip, he was prepared to fully engage the Ethiopian eunuch. Back to the text in Acts chapter 8. He was given an opportunity to get near the chariot, and it says, and he ran right up to it in verse 30. And then when he was invited to come up and sit with the, the CFO in, chapter, in verse 31, he was ready in the chariot, dialoguing with the man about his life. It's a bit of a risk, engaging with other people, isn't it? Sometimes it's a risk of friendship. Well, I wonder what they'll think of me after I tell them about my relationship and commitment to Jesus. Maybe it's a risk in our reputations. I wonder what the boss will think when he finds out I'm a follower of Christ. I think of people like Jim Elliott, who was one of my heroes growing up. 
missionary to the Aka Indians, you remember he said this. He is no fool to lose what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool to, to give up his life in risking it to give eternal life. Hey, in some places in the world, telling others about Christ could cost you your life. 1906. Football at that time was a game of run only. Two yards and a pile of dust. Three yards and a pile of dust. Seven to six. Nine to five. Those were the typical scores in that day. University of St. Louis adopts the forward pass. 30 yards, 35, 40 yards. Well, early on in the season, it became sort of a last resort. Sort of like what my Canadian friends call keeping the, the net open. You know, at the end of a hockey game, I guess how it goes is when you're desperate, you take the goalie out and you send like another offensive guy up there to get a, to get a, a puck in. And so they would just use it as a last resort. Well, St. Louis outscored their opponents that year, 402 to 11, <laughs> telling me that sometimes the risks are worth it. Sometimes it's, risk, it's risky to put our friendship on the line. But see, God's calling us to save lives. Sometimes it's a reputation. For some, it's our very lives. Another story from a, a friend who uh, responded to my email. Steve, when I worked for the Oregon State Police, late 1980s, I worked with a man that was having difficulty coping with life. His time as a temporary employee for the agency was drawing to a close, and it was one of his last expected times that I would ever see him. And as we were driving along, he was telling me of some of the woes of his life and the destructive path that he was on. And having never really been a patient or terribly understanding person, I let loose with a very direct rant not typically taught in an outreach or evangelism course, and it went something like this. Until you start taking responsibility for your own actions, stop blaming your ex-wife for your troubles, and receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you will continue down your path of failure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We didn't talk much the rest of the trip. Two or three years later, I'm in a restaurant, see some friends in a booth. I realize my former coworker is among them. He said, hello, caught up in life a bit. He pulled me aside and said, do you remember the conversation we had just before I left OSP in the truck? It changed my life. I now follow Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, you can clap for that. That was a risky move. When was the last time you looked someone in the face and said, unless you get it together, stop blaming people, and receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you're going to head down this same path of failure for the rest of your life. Now, I wouldn't recommend that as the typical procedure certainly wouldn't be in our evangelism seminars. 
sometimes the Spirit's prompting and you've engaged in the life of other people, He will lead you in, in paths. He will lead you to that place where it's a direct word, where it's, friend, listen to me. The path that you're on, it's destruction. That's not going to change. You need Jesus. Observation number three. When the time came, Philip spoke. Philip verbally shared the gospel, Jesus Christ. Verse 35. And Philip began with that very passage of scripture. Told him the good news concerning Jesus. Now it's amazing that this passage, Isaiah 53, we won't take the time to go back there, but if you remember, this was the the passage prophesying, one of the most amazing prophecies of Scripture, speaking of the coming Messiah. And in this passage, it says, he would be like a, like a lamb, just silently, just take me. As his life is taken away. It says that his, his descendants would be cut off. It says that this person was willing to lay down his life. And it says, and by his wounds, physical wounds, by his shed blood, Pay for the sins of the world. Tell me, Philip, who would do this? I've never met anyone like this. I want to know who this person is. The slow pitch is tossed up. Philip rears back, takes a swing, starts in Isaiah 53. He launches into the truth, the life message of Jesus Christ. We have that opportunity, friends. And are you ready to be a first responder? Here at Salem Alliance Church, you've probably heard the terms show and tell. Our lead pastor, Steve Fowler, explains this concept well. The proclamation and demonstration of the gospel. I'd like you to hear his thoughts about show and tell in this uh, minute clip that I've prepared for you. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Touching, telling, showing, telling. Matthew chapter 9. Again, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Again, five chapters later. Now, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The message and the touching and the healing, in fact, Jesus, what he ends up doing is he ends up training his disciples. He installs, he implements a a discipleship training program. And he begins sending out his followers. Luke chapter 9. He's sending out the 12. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He sent them out to, to show the kingdom of God and to tell the kingdom of God. Now you may be saying, well, I'm, I'm willing 
but I really wouldn't know where to start. Well, that's one of the reasons for question four on our survey today. See, as pastor of outreach, one of the things I'm most interested about uh, hearing from you is, would you be interested if we were to offer a seminar on sharing your faith, very basic ways, would you come? Would you be interested? How would I answer tough questions? How would I respond to people from other faith traditions and world religions? See, I'm really interested to know. Hey, I want to be trained. Let's not make it an issue of, of ignorance and training. Let's get through that. And let's figure out how to, how to say it and how to say it well. But where this begins, it's not in here, it's in here. Like Philip, when the time comes, would we be ready as first responders? Fully engage. Follow the prompts of the Spirit. Speak truth concerning the message and life of Jesus. I want to close my message by... uh, telling you about mid-15th century Spain. If you're a historian, you may have read some of these uh, things I'm about to tell you. Mid-15th century, Spain was a a dynamic superpower. Uh, The Mediterranean Sea, they owned to the north, to the south, all of Europe, much of northern Africa. And at the entrance of the uh, the Mediterranean Sea, there were pillars pillars of Hercules. And as people would go out, they would read the inscription that was placed at the top of those pillars, which read, ne plus ultra, no more beyond. As if Spain were saying, we own it all. The whole world is ours. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean and discovered, in fact, there was a new world. Discovered, in fact, treasures beyond, and as he brought them back into Spain, the Spanish elite, the emperor, was quite impressed and had some coins minted, used the inscription from the pillars of Hercules, this time only two words, plus ultra, more beyond. We see, we admit our ignorance, we don't own the whole world. There is more beyond. Is there more beyond for you? Is it true that that God in his redemptive work drawing all people to himself as Christ's followers that he is asking us to be his first responders? Friends, there's more beyond. There's lives to be saved. And I'm calling you to join me in this work as lifesavers. Josh said it so well last week. We serve and we share, not to get value, but because we have value. This is not to to prove to Christ that we're worthy of, of his. It's because he's already shown us he's worthy. And we just pour out what we already have. That's our dream we would be spiritual first responders. People of the promptings of the Holy Spirit ready to save lives. Been listening to Steve Dan Guerin, Associate Pastor at Salem Alliance Church. If you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to be our guest at our worship service 
on our main campus at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Worship services are Saturday at 5 and 6.30 p.m. and again on Sunday at 8, 9.30 and 11 a.m. If you'd like to receive a free Bible and more information on how to become a Christ follower, feel free to call our office at 503-581-2129. We'd love to know how we can serve you. And once again, that's Salem Alliance Church at 5th and Market Streets in Northeast Salem. Salem.